Psalm 90, verses 1 through 17. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place through all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. They quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good evening. I was so sure I was going to say good morning, but good evening. Welcome to Trinity. It's really great to have you here tonight. This is the first of what we are um, planning to be a number of worship nights, especially those that fall on holy days like Ash Wednesday, Good Friday, Christmas Eve, uh, Pentecost, Epiphany, some of those uh, lesser known ones might get a shout out as well. But we are so, so glad you're here. It's more than a thousand years ago that the church uh, came together and decided to celebrate Ash Wednesday for the first time, a way to mark a season of Lent, which is six weeks leading up to Easter. And Lent, and especially Ash Wednesday, is a time of remembrance and repentance. We remember that we are flesh, that we are mortal, that we will die. And we repent, we repent of our sins. And so it's a a somber day, it's a heavy day, it's a day of sort of darkness, of you know, deep reflection, a day where we are brutally honest about the hard things of this world. And so if you're a a sort of a skeptic or a a cynic by nature, you know, if you're kind of a glass half empty kind of person, you see the darker side of life, you know, maybe you feel often depressed or anxious or chronically frustrated. Maybe you just like emo music and you're a millennial hipster. This day is for you. You get one day in the Holy Church calendar to just be as down and dark and sad as you want to be. And so if that's you, congratulations, you've made it to Ash Wednesday. But this day, it it forces us to deal with certain realities, things that are, are, are hard to really meditate on for an extended period of time. As Christians, we don't have to search for clever things to say about pain 
and suffering. You know, we have our own personal wounds, our own personal life experience. For me, that includes losing two of my siblings growing up. It includes almost 20 years now of an experience of depression that's, that's not gone away by prayer or more faith or anything else. We, we deal with the hardness of life in, in community and we see one another suffer in ways that nobody should ever suffer. We lose loved ones. We, we suffer miscarriages. We, we lose jobs, lose income. There's so much pain in, in the church body at any given point. And sometimes it, it's just the grind of life. I don't know if you feel like there are just days where you just cannot get going and every single moment is harder than it should be. Today began to feel like one of those days for me as it went on. It just felt like thing after thing after thing. It was like perfect for sermon prep to just be reminded of the brokenness of the world. I mean, even coming down here to this gathering was a struggle. We came in. They weren't ready for us. They'd set up for another event. We weren't planning to be in here. Little things are going wrong. We had these beautiful Lent guides printed, but they printed them wrong. So I had to stop and buy a stapler on the way down here. I got like eight of them stapled and then the stapler just broke. It's like shooting staples all over the place. I'm like, really? We're like an hour out. I, I mean, I paid like $2.49 for this. It should work at least more than eight copies. So if you didn't get one of those, you'll get one on Sunday. It'll be nicely stapled. But everything is so much harder than it seems like it should be, right? Life grinds away at us. Work works against us. Relationships are so much harder than it seems like they should be. Our cars are falling apart. Our houses are falling apart. Everything is moving towards death. As Ecclesiastes says, everything is meaningless. Now, we don't just have our own personal wounds and the daily grind of life and the experience of others, but we have the Holy Scriptures. There's one theologian that says that the Bible is about pain and suffering as much as it's about anything else. And that's why we don't have to search for clever things to say because we have God's Word which speaks so much to our everyday experience, the brokenness of our world. And so the three things for tonight, we'll move pretty quickly through these, but remember that you will die, repent of your sins, and then rest in Christ. If anyone in, in human history would be familiar with the brokenness of life, it's Moses. Moses was the, the prophet, the, the great man of God who wrote the psalm that we just read, Psalm 90. And he wrote this from the wilderness. So if you know the Exodus story, I mean, first of all, Moses was, was you know, born and, and left in, in a river and he was adopted into the family uh, of Egypt. And so he's a foreigner growing up in a strange place. He's disconnected from his people. One day he kills a man and goes into hiding, you know. God shows up, calls him to do uh, ministry, essentially to go and, and set Israel free from Pharaoh. And now Moses leads them out through the Red Sea. It's this miraculous, you know, uh, incredible liberation from oppression. And instead of going right into the promised land, you remember where they go? The wilderness. And not like for a little bit, but for 40 years. Literally everybody that comes out of Egypt dies before seeing the promised land. 40 years of the hot sun beating down on them, of, of cold winters being exposed outside in just their tents. 
Two million Israelites are frustrated with Moses at the same time. They want to go back to Egypt and become slaves again. And so for Moses, this is just too much to handle, and, and he overflows with Psalm 90. It's, it's the, the overflow, the outpouring of his heart, his frustration with this broken world, and it, and it actually like makes the cut, like it makes the Scriptures. Some of these phrases, don't, you, you might not think they're actually in the Bible until you see them printed in the Bible. Like we, We're not just using the screens instead of handout Bibles because it's not really in there. It's all really in there. And there's some really dark and difficult stuff. But here's where Moses begins in verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This is where almost every one of the Psalms begin with praising God for who he is. But then in the very next verse, Moses begins to get into his theme. Verse 3. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or a watch in the night. He goes on to say, You, you sweep people away like grass that, is, that has just been cut down, you know, chewed up in the little mulchy thing, and then spit out into the yard. This is how Moses is experiencing life. He's thinking about death, about mortality, and he's thinking about, about time. Verse 9, all our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. Yet even their span is trouble and sorrow. They quickly pass. So Moses, is, he's laying it on thick now. I mean, every single day is a struggle. Time, it, it feels so slow when it's not going well, and yet you get to the end of your life and, and it's just gone, just like that. 70 or 80 years in a moment. Everything is meaningless. And just when you think it can't get any worse, you get a text message saying, no school tomorrow from CPS, it's out. Like, it got worse again. Feel you, Moses. Now, why do we have such a hard time? I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Why do we have such a hard time thinking about time? Think about all the things we say. You know, it, it felt like it was just yesterday. Or, or where did the time go? Or, or time flies. It's like time is never in the accurate place that it should be in. And in a book called Reflections on the Psalms, C.S. Lewis talks about this. And he says, it's as strange as if a fish were repeatedly surprised at the wetness of water. And that would be strange indeed, unless, of course, the fish were destined to become one day a land animal. What he's saying is we don't know how to relate to time because we weren't meant to be trapped in the time that we're in. We weren't meant to leave, live these lives of mortality. We were meant for eternity meant to live forever, all in the presence of God, in a good and a perfect place. But sin, our sin, the sin of the world, has corrupted everything, brought death into our lives. And that's why it feels so odd, because we weren't meant to, to have time in these little capsules that we move through. We were meant simply for eternal life with God. So Moses ends like this, relent, 
O Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. He's just saying, God, help. It is so hard right now. Have mercy on us. Don't let us suffer forever. Show compassion. Give us just a little bit of gladness. Now, as I said, Ash Wednesday is about remembrance and second repentance. And so the second thing is to repent of our sins. Repentance in the Scriptures, in the New Testament, the word is metanoia in the Greek, and it means a turning around, a a complete turn. So you can imagine you're going in one direction, and repentance is not a mere turning, but it's a complete turning and a movement in the other direction. And so confessing your sin, you know, expressing sorrow for your sin, that's half of the turn, but then it's following Jesus and moving in a relationship of trust in the totally other direction That entire movement is repentance. And Lent is this six-week period where we can focus with honesty on our sins and on repentance. We might want to rush past this to get to to, the lighter side of the Christian life, and yet the Scriptures don't really rush past anything. Instead, God made this promise through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 30, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. I don't know if you've ever noticed in the Scriptures that salvation and rest are often tied together. It's an interesting study when you get the time. I think it's Hebrews 4 that talks about entering into the rest of God. Salvation is described as rest. I don't know how much you you feel that longing in your soul for rest, but I know that I do. And Jesus made this invitation in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble, and heart, and you will find rest for your souls. As we said on Sunday, we were dead in our sins. And yet God, because of His great love for us and His mercy, He made us alive again with Christ. We are literally raised from the dead and given the ability to move in a new direction. And so we don't have to fear repentance. We don't have to to minimize sin and repentance. We can simply bring all of it before the throne of mercy. And so remember, repent, and then last, rest. Rest in Christ. Christianity makes sense of our weariness, of our burdens, of the challenges of everyday life. And it points us over and over again to rest in Christ. You can rest in Christ because you have been freely accepted, not because you've done anything to to earn it, to attain it, but because of God's grace just poured out into your life. You haven't earned it. You cannot lose it. It is all grace from beginning to end. All of your sins, past, present, future, all of them forgiven if you are one with Christ. Everything that's true of Christ becomes true of you, and that's how you can rest. 
Now, over the next six weeks, as we observe Lent together as, as individuals, but also as a, as a church family, as a congregation, what does it look like for us to practice remembrance, repentance, and rest together? You know, Lent is this season of focusing on crucifixion, knowing that a resurrection is coming. A season of, of knowing the darkness, of being aware of the darkness, but knowing that light is coming as well. And so we might want to look past the bloody cross and, and rush right to the empty tomb, but Lent says, slow down. As we said Sunday, we appreciate God's grace only to the extent that we acknowledge our sin. To the extent that you acknowledge your sin is the extent that you will appreciate the grace of God in your life. And that's why fasting is traditionally associated with Lent. And I'm not just talking about giving up beef on Fridays, but, but real self-denial and oneness with Christ. Now, this could look like fasting from food, maybe for, for 24-hour periods, maybe once a week during Lent. Maybe it's not that, but maybe it's fasting from social media and TV for six weeks. Maybe it's fasting from sugar or, or caffeine or alcohol or, or all of them. And it's not because any of these things are, are bad in themselves at all. That's kind of the point, that these are good things. But in, in the absence of these comforts and, and the old familiar habits, we can find our comfort in Christ. We can find new habits that will sustain us better. True and better comforts. True and better habits. Maybe it's something more positive. Over the next six weeks, you might want to try to read through the entire New Testament or listen to it on your fancy new Dwell Bible app. If you don't have that, we've got extra gifts. We've got too many gifts. Make sure you get one on your way out. But think about this. Moses longed to see what we can see. He, he longed to be able to know that, that God the Son would come down and pay for our sins, raise on the third day, in victory over Satan, sin, and death. He longed to be able to see with the clarity that we can see the forgiveness that we have, the hope that we have, not just in this life, but in the life to come. The hope of being resurrected like Jesus, given a new body like Jesus, to see the whole earth renewed and restored, a new creation. Moses longed to see these things, and yet we can see them. Israel did not have the, the Holy Spirit as they were moving through the wilderness all these years. That's why they were grumbling so much. We have the Holy Spirit. We have so much and so much hope. And all of this hope, it, it takes the pain and suffering and it reframes it. It gives us new eyes to see pain and suffering. I don't know if you've noticed that some people respond to pain and suffering by becoming more mature and, and deeper, more wonderful people. Others respond to pain and suffering by becoming more bitter and angry and vengeful. The difference is all where we are putting our hope. If our hope is in Christ. If we can see ourselves as one with Him, then we can suffer as He suffers. And could it be that all of the suffering in this life, it just makes the, the sky of, of eternity even brighter? It just makes the, the taste of heaven even sweeter. Life and the world to come even fuller. Could it be that all of our sufferings here and now make eternity that much better?
200 years ago, there was a poet named William Cooper, Christian who suffered from chronic illness and depression, and he wrote this hymn. God moves in a mysterious way, His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps on the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep and unfathomable minds of never-ending skill, He treasures up His bright designs and works His sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. Now, church tradition has been for, for a long, long time to do the imposition of ashes. I don't know if you've seen this. Maybe if you grew up Catholic, you may have experienced this or in another church tradition. Now, the point of the ashes being imposed on foreheads is a reminder of our oneness with Jesus, the beauty of the cross, but also the shame of the cross. They, they use these ashes from, from burnt uh, palm friends from the previous Palm Sunday. And as each person comes forward, an ash cross is put on their forehead, and it literally is saying, you will die. You can imagine how hard it is as, as a pastor to see your own family, children coming forward and marking them with the cross, you will die. Throughout the scriptures, the face is, is representative of a person's truest self. You know, in the Old Testament, when Cain killed Abel, God marked his face with a, as a curse. Moses hid his face from God when he knew he was full of sin. Jesus called the religious people of his day hypocrites, which mean they were putting a mask over their true self. And so to have the, the mark of the cross on our face It's the truest thing about us. That though we will die, we won't stay dead. That though the the shame of the cross is upon us, so is the glory of the cross. Psalm 34 says, I sought the Lord and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. And so tonight we are not going to do the imposition of ashes simply because of COVID. I really wanted to do them tonight. We couldn't think of a safe way to not give everyone what everyone else has coming forward one at a time, touching everyone's foreheads. Instead, we're going to take communion. The imposition of ashes is not a biblical sacrament the way the Lord's Supper and baptism is, so there's tons of freedom. But instead, we're going to take communion as we do every time we gather. And so it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, giving thanks, saying, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup, saying, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. It is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you gather, do this in remembrance of me. And so during this next song, as we often do, you can move up to the communion table, take the elements, bring them back to your seat, and we'll take communion together after this next song. If you're not a Christian or if you're not sure about Christianity and you're still exploring, we're so glad you're here. We would simply ask that you not take of this meal, but rather look to Christ. Look to the the brokenness of this world and see the hope that's held out for you in Christ. We'd love to talk to you and get you ready to take communion next week. Let's pray.